Did you ever wonder why we wrap Christmas presents? You know, it really doesn't make a lot of sense to spend money on fancy wrapping paper and ribbons and then just tear it off and throw it away. I've tried over the years to convince Marilyn of the futility of such, but it hasn't worked. And I do have to admit that there is something special about a wrapped package. You know, not knowing what's inside creates an atmosphere of excitement and anticipation. But I also have to admit that sometimes, once the package is opened, it's hard to hide disappointment. Uh, Marilyn and Nikki are always trying to expand my wardrobe. I don't understand why, but they are. And they get just a little annoyed. Well, they get a lot annoyed with me when I open a package and just sit there trying to decide if I'll ever wear it, especially if it's a shirt without button-down collars and a pocket. But uh, sometimes we're disappointed. Now, sometimes a Christmas surprise is a disappointment because we don't always get what we want or even expected. But most of us, fortunately, have learned how to live graciously with a little disappointment on Christmas morning. What we certainly do not want is disappointment on Judgment Day. And while I'm certain that the glories of heaven won't disappoint anyone, I can't help but wonder if we might not be surprised by who will and who won't be there. Apparently that was also going through the mind of someone who asked Jesus a question on his way to Jerusalem. We pick up the account in Luke chapter 13, verses 22 in the first part of the 23rd verse. And he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? Now, Jesus had set his face toward Jerusalem and what was awaiting him there. But he was in no hurry to get there. He was spending time teaching in the various cities and villages along the way. The heyday of his popularity had waned a bit. The crowds who had been miraculously fed had pretty much given up on him after he made it clear that such miracles were not going to continue. And the relatively small size of his following was apparently noticed by someone who asked him straight out, Lord, are there just a few being saved? Without directly answering the man's question, Jesus did indicate that many will be surprised by who will and who won't be saved. And he began by making it clear that many who want to be in the kingdom will be surprised to find themselves shut out. Continuing in verse 23 through 25. And he said to them, Strive to enter by the narrow door. 
For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you're from. And the Apostle Peter made it clear that God does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But that is one wish that even Almighty God will not be able to fulfill, because He has left its fulfillment in our hands, and not all will repent. Not all will change the direction of their life and start heading back toward God after ignoring or openly rebelling against His will. And not all will seek to enter the kingdom, at least not soon enough. So Jesus answered the man's question by encouraging him to strive to enter and to enter by the narrow door. Now, referring to the door as a narrow one also made it clear that not everyone would find it. In fact, Jesus said as much in the Sermon on the Mount. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. And then, of course, as Jesus said in John 14:6, He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father, but through Him, Jesus is the narrow door. And to answer the man's question, yes, only a relative few will find their way in through him. But not because he's hidden from view or hard to find. Who Jesus is and what he did are the best attested facts in all of history. And what's available through him has been proclaimed by the church for 2,000 years. The reason most will not find their way in is that they are not striving to do so. The word Jesus used for striving was a technical term used for competing in athletic games. It comes from the word for agony. Jesus was saying that if we expect to enter the kingdom, we must strive to the point of agony, agonizing to do so. Now that does not mean that if we try really hard, we can work our way in. Nothing we do ever will earn a place in the kingdom. What it means is that we must want it more than anything else in the world. That getting into the kingdom must be our top priority in life. Our desire for heaven cannot be a religious extra tacked onto our life to give it meaning. It must be the most important thing in our life. If it is, God will make sure 
we find our way in through the narrow door of His Son. If not, many who seek to enter will not be able to do so. Now, in spite of the fact that there is a difference between striving and seeking, I don't think that's the point Jesus is making here. I don't think he's saying that those who only seek but don't really strive won't make it. Again, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said if we would seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that he would see to it that all of our needs would be met. The difference isn't between striving and seeking. It's wanting the kingdom so much that we don't wait too late to seek it. Now, the punctuation marks were not in the original text. And if we take out the period between verses 24 and 25, we might get a better picture of what Jesus was saying. Strive to enter by the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door. I think the point is that we must be striving to enter now because the door will not be open forever. And we don't know when it will close for us. It can be slammed shut through death at any time for any of us long before Jesus returns. And when it closes, it's too late to try to get in. If we didn't strive to enter while alive, it will be too late to seek to enter after death. Once the door is closed, no amount of knocking and pleading will do any good. The response from inside will be, sorry, I don't know you or where you're from. So the first surprise in the kingdom is that many will be shut out. Not everyone will be saved. And those who think they have plenty of time, may not. The next surprise is even more shocking than the first. Verses 26 through 28. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you're from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth there when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being cast out. The dialogue here indicates that some on the outside thought they belonged on the inside. They weren't strangers. They knew who Jesus was and were certain that he knew them. Surely he remembered them from the church potlucks and Thanksgiving dinners. They were even familiar with his teaching. You know, they had heard him on the streets and in their neighborhoods and maybe even in church on occasion. Surely there had been a mistake. They belonged inside. 
But Jesus said, I tell you, I do not know where you're from. Depart from me, all you evil doers. What was the problem here? The problem, the surprise, was that they assumed familiarity with Jesus meant they were saved. I'm afraid there are a lot of people like that today. The vast majority of Americans still consider themselves to be Christians. They view our nation as a Christian nation. They claim a Christian heritage. And they were brought up to live decent Christian lives. But have they entered the narrow door of faith in Christ? They may have entered a religious door and even joined a church, but just entering a church door isn't enough. Keith Green used to say, going to church doesn't make you any more a Christian that going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. (laughs) I'm afraid many are going to be disappointed on Judgment Day. They're going to assume that because they lived good moral lives, went to church, and were good at Bible trivia, that the door will be opened to them. And if they find themselves on the outside... Seeking to get in after the door has been closed, they didn't make it. They may have thought themselves on the inside, but the reality is that they have been cast out. They may have known about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They may be familiar with the prophets. But if they haven't gone through the door of faith in the Son of God, they will weep and gnash their teeth while watching those they heard about celebrate around God's throne. It's not enough to think you're in. You must be certain that you have gone through the narrow door. And the door is narrow. We haven't been given the option of cutting our own door into the kingdom of God. Jesus is the only way in, and we've been told in Scripture how to go through that door. And the gospel was preached for the very first time, and men and women were pierced to their hearts by it. They asked what they should do. They were told to repent and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. If they would do that, they were promised that their sins would be forgiven and that they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people went through that door on one day. As a church, we have always sought to be faithful in proclaiming the gospel. And we have been very careful to teach what we are convinced the Bible teaches about how to come to Christ. We do, however, also recognize that many who believe in Christ and who are trusting Him to save them may not do everything 
the way we believe it should be done. And that brings us to another surprise in the kingdom. Verses 29 and 30. And they will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And become, and behold, some are last who will be first. And some are first who will be last. Now what Jesus said about those coming from the east, west, north, and south was readily understood by his Jewish audience. He was talking about Gentiles, those from around the world who were not Jewish. Now, most Jews were convinced that there would be no Gentiles in the kingdom of God. After all, they were not God's chosen people. But here Jesus said that people from around the world, from the Gentile nations, would recline at the table in the kingdom. They would share in the Messianic banquet. Now, this was even harder to take than what Jesus had already said. He had already made it clear that not everyone who thought they were a part of the kingdom, who had the right name and heritage, would find themselves on the inside. Some who sought to enter would be denied entrance, and others who thought they were in would be cast out. That meant that not every Jew would someday sit around the Messianic table as they had assumed they would. And that, in and of itself, was a real shocker. But then he said something that they couldn't even comprehend, something they had never even considered to be a possibility. Some who weren't Jewish would be there. Apparently a wrong name and heritage in and of itself excluded no one. The door was narrow, but the circle of acceptance was much larger than expected. That was shocking to the Jews. And I've got a feeling it will be shocking to many Christians as well. In 2,000 years, the Christian church has fractured into many pieces with many different doctrinal emphases and traditions. And some of the differences are startling and at odds with each other. Obviously, if we don't all agree, someone or everyone is wrong on something. But that doesn't necessarily mean that those who disagree on some things haven't gone through the same door. In spite of our differences, all who have gone through the door of faith in Jesus in a way that is acceptable to Him are in. I've got a feeling there are going to be some in heaven that we didn't think would be there. They may not have gone to the right church, but they went through the right door. 
And the seating arrangement in the kingdom may also surprise us. I don't think Jesus' statement that some who are last will be first and first last has as much to do with when they went through the door as it does their assumed station in the kingdom. And Jesus will get specific about seating arrangements in the next chapter. I think what he's saying is that the ones we expect to see in places of honor around his table might not be where we expect them to be. And that those who are in the religious limelight here may have had their reward by being seen by men here. And those who did their deeds in secret will be openly rewarded in heaven. In other words, nobodies in the church may be somebodies in heaven. And vice versa. The point is that we should be striving not to impress others, even those in the church, so much as we should be striving to enter the narrow door. That our primary concern is not looking good to each other, but making sure that we are acceptable to the one who was born on Christmas Day. And the way we become acceptable to him is by making room for him. And not just in the stable of our heart, but in the center 